Thanks. Um, hey, if you've got a Bible uh, or if you follow along with something like version uh, on your smartphone, uh, turn to Daniel chapter 1. Uh, we're going to spend time in this one chapter uh, today with Daniel, even just a, a few verses here. And uh, as you're getting there, I want to tell you about a privilege uh, that I had uh, of doing something really special with my son, Joel, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Joel turned 10 this summer, and as a way of marking this milestone in his life, he and I planned a camping trip together uh, in northern Michigan. Now, I've got to be real honest with you and say that I did a little bit of camping growing up, uh, not much, um, and, but I guess you could say that in my mind, I have this fantasy like where I'm a camper and I do all of this hiking and hike things like the Appalachian Trail and eat off the land and sleep out under the stars at night. But can I just say that nothing really beats a nice motel room and a clean shower? Like, are any of you there with me on that? Well, well anyways, we, we camped for a couple of nights. We had a great time together, and we spent most of our time at Sleeping Bear uh, Dunes in, in northern Michigan. And if you've never been there before, get it on your list. I mean, it, it's gorgeous, and, and one of our highlights together was hiking the uh, Dune Trail. Now, the Dune Trail is a three-and-a-half-mile trail through the dunes, just up and down these very steep uh, sand dunes uh, with a midway point right on the shores of Lake Michigan. And when we got to the park on this particular day, the park ranger advised us against hiking the trail on that day uh, because it was expected to be a 90 degree plus 90 degree heat uh, day. But hey, my wife wasn't there. My mom, you know, our, our, no moms around, you know, other people were doing it too. And we had the right gear and we had plenty of water. So we went after it and we did it and we accomplished it. And, and it really was a, a cool moment uh, for, for dad and son. And, and got a picture here just to kind of show you uh, our time there together and what it was like to celebrate that. And I hope that it's a trip that my son will never forget. Um, I know that I'll never forget it, and, and for me, it was just so important that we have this quality time together. It was a, a little more time to share intentionally and to talk about life and faith and what's ahead. Now, before I go any further, don't get me wrong in this. Um, I'm not a perfect parent. Um, I mess up all of the time, and I really need God's help uh, in my life, too. Uh, and when it comes to parenting, I'm far from perfect. Uh, but what Jenny and I have in mind is just one clear goal for our children, and that is that we want to raise them to know and to love Jesus. I mean, that's what's most important to us. And, and as a way of preparing for the trip, I chose a verse for Joel, and it's just a verse that I want for him and something that I'm going to be praying over his life uh, in these years to come. And it comes right out of Luke 2.52 when it says that, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Um, I, I want Joel to grow in his relationship with Jesus Christ. I want him to grow in wisdom, and, and I know that God will bless him for this. Uh, and I also want others to be able to look at Joel in the years to come and, and see in him and know without a doubt that his faith and all of his trust is in Jesus Christ. Well, as we turn uh, the pages in our Bibles today and we want run right uh, into the life of a teenager named Daniel, I can't help but think about a young man whose parents must have done an exceptional job at raising their boy and, and what it means for him to live, what it meant for him to live for God uh, in this world. You know, Daniel is a fascinating man. And, and when we first encounter him, we encounter him as a teenager. Uh, some historian scholars believe that he was around 16 years of age at the time. And we're going to look at 
and touch on one small chapter in his life today, but as you read this story, and I would challenge you to read it for yourself, what you're going to see over and over again is that he spent most of his life right under the microscope, right in front of the public eye, and the one thing that you'll notice about him is that there's not really a mark against him. And that's just interesting when you think about it because the same can't be said about Noah. I mean, he got drunk and embarrassed himself. I mean, Moses killed a guy. You know, then there was David, and he committed adultery and murder. But Daniel, Daniel's different. You know, there's something different about him. And he's one of the few men in the Bible that you could say, by all accounts, stood strong from the beginning of his life to the end of his life. Now, does it mean he was perfect? No way. I mean, there's not a chance. But Daniel was a faithful example all throughout his life, and Daniel was very clear about one thing from beginning to end, that he lived for God. I mean, it was Daniel's mission. It was his goal. It was his desire to live for God in anything and everything. And can I just stop there for a moment before we go any further? And let me just ask you this question. Who today would you say that you live for above anything else? I mean, in all honesty, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand so there won't be any embarrassment or anything, but who do you live for? I mean, are you living for God in anything and everything? I mean, and what would your wife say or what would your husband say? What, what would your kids say or maybe your boss say? What would they say about who it is that you live for? Are you living for God or are you living for you? Are you, are you living to impress, uh, to fit in or to get ahead or are you living to achieve in life or to discover the ultimate satisfaction? Are you living to survive or are you living to serve? Who would you say that it is that you live for? You know, the Apostle Paul talks about this. He encourages us in how we live and who we live for. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, he says it like this, for Christ's love compels us. Like that's the motivating force behind the way that we live. And then he says, because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And then verse 15, it says, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You know, my prayer for my children, my prayer for me, my prayer as I was praying it for you even this morning is this, that in every situation, every day that I can say, that you can say, I'm living for God. And there is no other life worth living than a life fully devoted to him. And because he gave his life for me, I'm going to give my life in all things for him. You know, we see this kind of passion in Daniel. And for those of you today that would like to say that you are living with that same kind of intent and passion in your life, I want us to take a look at just one chapter again from Daniel's life to see what we might learn and discover for him. Because the way he made, lived made all of the difference in his life, but it made a great big difference for others too. And Daniel lived for God. And there was absolutely no doubt about this. Um, in, in case you've missed or uh, you haven't been here for a while or maybe this is your first time, what we've been doing is we've been going through the whole Bible chronologically this year and we're a few weeks away from finishing up in the Old Testament and then we're going to take a few weeks off and then we're going to get right into Jesus, right into the New Testament. And uh, for the last few weeks, we've been in a section of the Bible that's tough, it's challenging, it's complicated, it can be a little boring, uh, but we've been looking at the prophets and, and we've been talking about Elijah and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and and they were prophets, and what did prophets do? Well, they were special messengers uh, sent from God to his people in Israel, and they always came carrying these warning signs that screamed, hey, you're going the wrong way. Like, our God is faithful, but the road you're going down right now is a destructive path 
turn around, and it's true. I mean, that was the case for Israel and for Judah. I mean, they were just in this downward spile. They, they turned their backs on God and were turning towards idolatry. They weren't living for God as they were supposed to. And, and after all of these warnings, with little to no change, God finally gave his people up to their enemies, and we pick it up in Daniel chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 1. Uh, you can follow along in your own, but uh, on the screens too, uh, here's what it says. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God, now notice that small g God, in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Verse 3 says, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, and this is where we really get into what we're going to talk about today, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. These were young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. Uh, The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so we get a little bit of context of what's exactly happening here at this time. We see that this powerful Babylonian empire invaded Judah, and over an extended period of time, they just crushed God's people. I mean, they just tore apart all of Jerusalem. And for the people of Judah that survived, portions of the poorest uh, were allowed to remain in the land, but for most others, they were forced to leave their homes in Judah and take up homes in a new place, a foreign place, this land called Babylon, where they became exiles. Now Daniel was one of the exiles. And historians believe again that he was around the age of 16 at the time and he had three notable friends with him. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or if you remember from your days as a kid, if you went to Sunday school or something, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now of all of those taken into exile in Babylon, Daniel and others were selected for this special service in the king's palace, meaning that someone recognized potential in them. Someone realized, hey, we got to get these guys in here as interns, you know, there's great potential for them. And so they had something, people believe they had something to offer King Nebuchadnezzar of all of Babylon, and so they were given this special treatment. So they were young men as the scriptures say, without any physical defect, handsome, smart, well-informed, but maybe more importantly, quick to understand and qualified. Wouldn't you say if you're honest as a parent that you'd want your kids to be like that too? You know, for others to see that in them. I mean, if Daniel didn't love the Lord the way he did, I mean, that's all he would have been known for, these characteristics that we read, but he was, well, he was so much more than that. And think with me for a second here. I mean, put yourself in Daniel's shoes. I mean, could you imagine being uprooted from your home, your family, your culture and spiritual roots and then relocated 720 miles from home in Vegas? Like, that's what we're talking about here. I mean, that's Babylon. I mean, that's the best modern-day comparison. And so Daniel is there on his own at 16. I mean, would you trust a 16-year-old in Vegas all by himself or all by herself? And think about it, it's a foreign place. 
I mean, if you're Daniel, it's foreign to you and you're foreign to it and, and your values, your belief, your God, I mean, the way you live, I mean, like with Daniel, I mean, it makes no sense whatsoever to the Babylonians. And in this case, you wonder at age 16, I mean, some kids may start to wonder, you know, about whose values are right anyways. I mean, if this country is bigger, if this country is stronger, if this country is supposedly better, I mean, maybe Daniel's thinking, maybe they have it right. But this is where the story gets really interesting. I mean, it's here where we see, you know, Daniel and, and where he's going to show us what's at the very core. I mean, even at 16, Daniel's going to take a stand for the God he's living for. And what we want to ask is, how did he do it? Well, look at Daniel 1, verse 8. It says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. You see, Daniel knew who he lived for. And we see this demonstrated when Daniel resolved not to defile himself. If you're taking notes, write that down. Daniel resolved not to defile himself. That's, that's basically the key phrase in this chapter and really the force behind Daniel and everything he stood for. Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Basically, he made a conscious choice not to pollute or stain his reputation. And I'm thinking, that can't be easy. I mean, remember, he's a long way from home. He's 720 miles from everything that's comfortable. And, and so the Babylonians are going to do everything they can to break him. And so they changed his surroundings. They threatened him. They changed his name. I mean, Daniel was a godly name, meaning God judges. But if you continue reading, what you'll find is they changed his name to Belshazzar, which just wasn't random. I mean, you know, it meant Prince of Bel. This was a pagan god and... Well, when you think about it, by the way, I mean, what's in a name? I mean, I, I think it's universally accepted that cultures then put more emphasis on names and their meaning than we do today. But even, even today, a, a new name, you know, always means something. I mean, just think about all of the people that tuned in this past week to see what the name of the future king of England, you know, was going to be. I mean, we were all, some of us, were so interested and so intrigued by the name of this baby and I was reading this past week that in 2002, uh, in his research paper entitled, Why Susie Sells Seashells Down by the Seashore, uh, this psychologist, Brett Pelham, said that people's names, that your name, the name you give your child can greatly affect their life, according to research. That even their career choice could be affected by your choice of their name. He says that women named Laura more often become lawyers. Uh, men named Dennis often become dentists. Uh, my dad's name is Dennis, and he's not a dentist, but, and, and so I'm not sure if he's serious about all this or not, but he did talk about something called implicit egotism, which is the tendency that we have to pick things and pick names for our kids that, that kind of remind us of who we are or what we hope to be or what some of our aspirations are. Anyways, in a day and age, like we have here with Judah and Babylon, a name meant everything. And the Babylonians changed Daniel's name, but even with the name change, Daniel wouldn't break. He remembered that he lived for God and not for Bell. But let's talk about the real problem. Let's talk about the issue kind of at hand today. I mean, what's the problem with the food and wine? All right, because the Bible says that when presented with his opportunity to take, to eat, to drink from the king's table, Daniel resolved not to defile himself. You know, again, Daniel and his friends were fortunate enough to, to live in the king's palace, and with that came all of these special rights and privileges, you know, things like eating at the king's table. No big deal, right? Wrong. I mean, it's a really big deal. 
I mean, in Daniel's eyes, this food was defiled. It was polluted. I mean, according to Jewish law, and Daniel was a Jew, uh, Daniel was forbidden from eating this kind of food and wine. I mean, Jews were forbidden from eating meat and drinking wine that had been sacrificed to false gods. And that's the case with this food here in Babylon. And so here's what Daniel's up against. He has to be thinking, I can eat and drink and surrender my convictions and acknowledge these gods, or I can do what's right in the Lord's eyes and face the consequences of a psychotic king who doesn't like to be offended. And I got to just stop there and say, if it's me, I got to be real honest and say, I'm probably going to have a hard time saying no. I mean, he's probably got friends that are living outside of the palace, and they're starving. And if I'm Daniel, I'm probably like, I'm 720 miles from home. I lost my family. My home is gone. You know, I might as well get a good meal out of this. I mean, it's not like God isn't a forgiving God anyways. It's not like he won't forgive me. But I like how the Living Bible describes what Daniel did. It translates this verse just saying it's that like Daniel made up his mind not to eat the food. And do you want to know what the truth is? The truth is that many of our spiritual battles begin in our mind. I mean, they start out as these small, insignificant battles with this small voice that says, what's the big deal? I mean, everyone's doing it. Who's going to find out? I mean, you deserve this. And what happens is as we give in to temptation, it, it just becomes easier to stretch the truth and the potential consequences. And before you know it, you'll trick yourself or you'll mislead your spouse and you'll say something like, you know, it was just a business lunch. I mean, there was supposed to be a third and they never showed. Or maybe you have selective memory when you're filling out a business report or something, an expense report, and so you make some teeny tiny adjustments just to make sure you come out ahead. No one knows. Everyone does it and no one's watching, right? But here's my challenge to you, here's my challenge for me, that even when no one is looking, even if you're far from home, spending the night with friends or away at school, make it your mission in anything and everything to live for God, just like Daniel. Be a man of God, a woman of God, a husband, a wife of God, a student of God, in anything and everything, no matter how great or how small it may be, to live for God. Because here's the thing too, in many ways, you know, this story of Daniel and Babylon really is a story about you and me. I mean, it's our story. I mean, you, you, well, you can say it how you want, but I'm just going to say it like it is. I mean, we live in Babylon. I mean, we live in Babylon today. I mean, America is no different than what Daniel is experiencing. And I'm not a doom and gloom guy. I mean, I love living in this country. There's no other place in the world where I'd rather live. And my faith and my hope is in Jesus Christ, and I believe that God has a plan for this world and for his church, and it will not fail. But our country today is a lot like Babylon, and we live in it. And at this time when Daniel was living, Babylon was a center of evil and pride and arrogance and sexual immorality, and America is no different today. And then you add to it the growing anti-Christian sentiment in our country. I mean, we live in a very idolatrous country. And at varying levels, we're all guilty of worshiping these false gods, you know, these false gods like money and sex and achievement and a career. But here's what makes my story and your story and our story so similar to Daniel's because, well, as followers of Jesus, we're not here by accident. 
I mean, God had Daniel in Babylon and in this palace for a reason. And if you go on to read Daniel's story and if you read the rest of it, God's going to use Daniel and others to change that entire empire for good. And so I want to take just a moment today to remind you as a follower of Jesus Christ that you're not in this world, this country, in your community, in your neighborhood, in your apartment, on your college campus by accident. I mean, as a follower of Jesus, you're here for a reason. We're exiles too. And it's why it says in the Bible that as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're God's ambassador here on this earth. And while it's okay to eagerly await the return of our Savior Jesus Christ to this world, until then, God has a plan and he's got a purpose for your life and mine in this church. Our mission, we're here to help people find their way back to God. That means that we're here to share the hope and the love of Jesus Christ with others in everything we do. We're here to bring bright light into dark places. And that means that as a follower of Jesus Christ, you can walk into any home, any neighborhood, onto any college campus, into your school hallway or your locker room, whatever that means, and you can live for God. That's what Daniel did. And God wants to use people like you and me to change the world. And what kind of people does he love to use? It's people who know who they live for, that you can say with your life, I live for God. It's people who live for God in the great things, but even in the very small things too. And that's what's happening for Daniel. I mean, Daniel's living for God. And so even when no one was looking, he made up his mind to do the right thing. Daniel resolved not to defile himself. And I want to show you something else he did, something that further demonstrates uh, who he lived for. Uh, it's the second half of verse 8. Again, it says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And then notice this next part. It says, And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. I just want you to notice how Daniel verbalized his intentions. He just came right out and said, you need to know who I am. I mean, he asked the chief official for permission not to file himself this way. He just said, hey, I can't do this. I can't eat these things. My God will not permit me to eat these things. Now, I'm just wondering if he wanted to be a little more secretive about it. You know, could he have played the, hey, I'm allergic card. Like I got a note from my doctor and all, and I'm really not supposed to eat these things. But he didn't do that. And I just think we can learn something simple yet powerful right here that you're going to find yourself in situations and circumstances where it's going to be important for you to come right out and say, this is who I am. You just need to know who I am. I mean, it's where you just simply call attention to the struggle or the disagreement and you kindly and graciously share your convictions with others. I mean, it's like the mom that I was talking to the other day and She was just telling me how her son was over at at another house with a bunch of other boys and this other mom where the boys were staying called this particular mom of this son that I was talking to and said, hey, I want to take the boys to see a movie. Uh, Here's two movies that we're thinking about. I wanted to make sure it was okay. And, And this mom I know was okay with one of the movies but she wasn't okay with the second movie knowing that it wasn't appropriate uh, for her son. And so she just kindly said to the woman, hey, my son can see the one movie, but if you make the decision to see the other, he's gonna need to come home. We'd we'd rather, his father and I would rather him not see that. And I just want you to notice that she wasn't judgmental. I mean, it wasn't like she was calling this other mom a she-devil for even thinking about a movie like this. She just verbalized her concerns because she was looking out for her son 
And maybe you'd say Daniel's making a bigger deal out of this than necessary. I mean, it's not like this is Old Testament Joseph that was tempted to, you know, sleep with his master's wife. It's just food and wine, right? And, and he's far from home, away from the temple, and most of his accountability be gone. But, but if you put yourself in a situation, can't you almost hear the enemy whispering, hey, what happens in Babylon stays in Babylon, right? But Sam, somehow, Daniel resolved not to defile himself. And part of that resolve was verbalizing his convictions with others. And it's just so interesting, even brilliant, whether Daniel realized it or not, that by saying it out loud, he was almost adding another layer of accountability around himself. Because sharing it lets others know your intentions. I mean, look at it like this. I mean, have you ever heard about how writing things down, especially your goals, can be motivation to get you moving towards those goals? verbalizing your intentions graciously and lovingly, sharing your conviction with others can act as that same sort of motivation too. So can we learn from Daniel? Can we learn from how he lived his life? I think so. And, and so for you or for me, that might mean something like, you know, don't be afraid to tell your coworker, you know, hey, I'll go on the business trip, but like I'm not going to be involved with the night stuff anymore. That's just not me or or get in front of your family and say, hey, for the good of the family, we're getting an internet filter so that there won't be any temptation in our house. Or if you're getting into a dating relationship right now, I mean, maybe you just make it known early on that you believe that God has preserved sex for marriage, and so you have certain boundaries when it comes to your physical intimacy. Or if you're getting ready to head off to college, you know, uh, sit down with your roommate early on and just kind of have that conversation where you say, hey, here's what's important to me. You need to know about some of the things that make up the foundation of my life and, and who I am. Daniel lived for God. And for that reason, he resolved not to defile himself. He verbalized his intentions, but look at what happened next. Verse 9 says, Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Now just stop there for a second. I don't want you to miss the way that God responds to Daniel's obedience because he always responds to obedience. But it says, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and your drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would have my head because of you. You know, because Daniel was a part of this group that had these special privileges in Babylon, he had his own nutritionist, as you would, that was assigned by the king. And if Daniel's going to be useful to the king, he's got to stay healthy. And so it's these, this official's job to make sure that Daniel stays healthy, but how's Daniel going to stay healthy if he's not eating? Again, Daniel knew he lived for God, and don't miss this, see it right here. Daniel trusted God. And there was great trust and great faith in his God. I mean, Daniel didn't know how this was going to work out. I mean, he knew he had to eat, but he chose to trust God. And God gave him the wisdom to come up with a plan that might just work. And it was a plan that gave Daniel the opportunity to maintain his faith and his principles. Look at verse 11. It says, Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. Now, I know the vegetarians in the room are like, see, there it is. We're just, it's not true, all right? This is just this one situation, all right? Back to reality here. 14, so, so he agreed to this and tested them 
for 10 days. See, the king wanted healthy men. He didn't want malnourishment, and Daniel knew this, and he knew what he was up against, and it was a bit of a risk to think that in 10 short days their God-honoring Jewish diet could transform their appearance. But it's the same for you and me because for you and me, you know, part of our challenge is when it comes to these defining moments in our life that we've got to trust God. And so you might ask, can I trust God to give me the patience to deal with the ridicule of my peers? Or when I seek to make the right decision, can I trust God to protect my job when I tell my boss, no, or I'm not going to do that any longer? Or can I trust God with my finances when I, when I choose to report the mistake? Or can I trust God to take care of my physical needs as I choose to wait on Him? You know, Daniel was putting more than his reputation and personal satisfaction or personal comfort on the line. He was, entrust, he, he was trusting his entire life over to God. I mean, that's trust. That's knowing who you live for. And so we've got this teenage boy in Babylon surrounded by this pagan culture with every reason not to trust God. And for you and me, wouldn't it be so easy to say, you know what, that's 2,500 years ago. Like, how can I relate? Well, the truth is that your situation and my situation is no different. Because maybe for you today, your situation in some unique way feels, you know, this situation feels a lot like your office or your circle of friends or, or again, your team or your school. And more than you realize, in just a few minutes, you're going to walk right out these doors and you're going to walk right back into the thick of it all. And what you're going to have to do in that moment, whether it be later on today, tomorrow morning, or later on this week, or when you move into your dorm a couple of weeks from now, is decide, who do I live for? Who is it that I live for? And you're going to have to decide whether you're going to be influenced or be an influence in this culture. I mean, Daniel had two choices, faith or fear. I mean, they had every reason to cut off his head. And I hope your situation isn't quite that serious, but you know better than anyone how difficult it can be living for God outside of these walls, especially when you feel all alone. And that's why today, you know, even words like these from the New Testament, when the Apostle Paul writes, you know, in Philippians 4, 13, can make all of the difference. Words to hang on to. I, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Paul says, I can do everything through Him who strengthens me. And I want you to know that promise and be able to pray that promise and hold on to that promise confidently in your own life that God will give you the strength that you need in any and every situation because he's always there for you. Well, Daniel faced this intense pressure uh, to give in to the culture of Babylon, and he could have given in, but instead he stood strong. He, he chose to find his strength from heaven, and he made every effort in every situation to live for God, and the Lord provided because of it. And let's look at how the story finishes out, starting in verse 15. It says, At the end of the ten days they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Uh, just skip over to verse 18. It says, At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, 
He found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Can I tell you, I was just reading and studying this past week that even in this time of exile that Babylon flourished and many believe it had so much to do with people like Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah who just came in and with every bit of them set up, we're going to live for God and we're going to bring this light even into these dark places. And how, can I, how could they do that? I mean, can I tell you why I believe that Daniel had the strength to make the right decisions even in a far-off evil place like Babylon? It's because Daniel made the decision who he was going to live for long before he ever got there. I mean, he didn't wait for Babylon to sneak up on him. He didn't wait until he got there. The foundation of his life was already built on God, God at the very center. Daniel lived for God. And let me just ask you today, who is it that you want to live for? And if it's your desire to say, I live for God, I want to challenge you to pray that prayer today. To pray that prayer even before you go today. Make it that desire. Make that desire known to God even before you walk out of this room in just, uh, just a moment. Just pray. I live for God. Will you bow your head with me? And with that, you know, even as we pray right now, I want to just challenge you with this, you know. I mean, if you're a man, will you pray, God, I'm living for you. Uh, if you're a woman, will you pray, God, I'm, I'm living for you. you know, husbands, today, um, resolve not to defile yourself and, and pray today in your own place, I, I'm living for God. Uh, if you're a wife, just, just pray that same thing. I, I'm resolving not to defile myself in this place. I'm living for God. I mean, parents, for you, maybe just very practically, it, it, it's looking ahead over these next few weeks with school starting into the schedule and the busyness and, and your children and just pray today, you know what? We're going to live for God. If you're single, and with all of the challenges that comes with living single, would you pray today, I'm living for God? If you're a college student, would you make up your mind today before you move back to your campus, pray these words, I'm living for God. If you're a student, you know, middle school, high school, you, know, you start this week in Noblesville or in these next couple of weeks, make the decision this morning, I'm living for God. God, I pray that you would hear these prayers this morning. And I pray that you would hear them because we need you, Lord. And we can't live for you on our own. We need your help and guidance. And we thank you for the promise of your word that you have given us a gift through your son, the gift of the Spirit, 
who comes into your people and that you live for us and, and in us and, and that we can live for you and, and through you, God, and that you guide us and you direct us, Lord, in the good times and in the bad and in the challenging and even in those blessed seasons, Lord. And I pray that the Spirit would just convict us today that we would come to that place where we would draw a line and say, today, I am praying with my mouth that I live for God, that I'll live for Him in anything and everything. And Lord, that I am relying on Your strength and the promise that I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. And, and for those of you that are sitting here today and as we pray, I mean, maybe you would say, you know, I, I don't even know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And if you've never invited Jesus Christ to be at the very center of your life, the great news is that you can do that right now. And the Bible says that if we call out to him, he hears us and he'll respond. And that if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, he'll come into your life and he'll forgive you of your sins and he'll change you. That even today, if you've never said it before, you can pray, I'm living for God and know it and know the power of forgiveness and eternal life. If that's you, I, I just wanna invite you to pray these words with me right now. Uh, Lord Jesus, I need you. Uh, I, I need um, your salvation for my life. Uh, forgive me of my sins today. And then just pray these words. I'm living for you. God, we thank you uh, for the blessed truth that when we, when we pray that prayer, you always answer. And for those who are turning their hearts over to you right now, God, may they have the confidence of knowing that everything changes today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's interesting when you think about it, uh, that while standing at the table uh, of this foreign king, Daniel had to make a choice whom he lived for. And today, you and I are going to have the opportunity to go to some tables around this room.